Hello and welcome to the iCoach Kids podcast with me, your host, Owen Mooney. iCoach Kids is a global not-for-profit movement that aims to support children's coaches around the world. This podcast is the perfect resource for anyone and everything related to children's coaching and youth development. Wherever you get your podcasts, please make sure to like and subscribe to our channels and follow us on social media at iCoach Kids Pod. Also, please follow the iCoach Kids pages on social media and subscribe to the iCoach Kids YouTube channel where you'll have access to the massive open online courses as well as a huge number of videos and webinars. Thank you for joining our ever-growing family. Today in the iCoach Kids podcast, we are talking about child center coaching with Dr. Sergio Labrosial. Sergio is a senior research fellow at Leeds Beckett University and with the International Council of Coaching Excellence. Sergio is the director of the iCoach Kids and Coach Force 21 projects, and he's a former basketball player in Spain and the UK, as well as a former Team GB basketball coach. On today's show, Sergio will discuss his playing and coaching experiences within basketball and other sports and how they have shaped him the importance of creating a positive child-centered environment, his own coaching philosophy, the journey of the iCoach Kids project, and much, much more. You're in for a real treat. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Sergio, thank you for joining us on episode one of the iCoach Kids podcast. Extremely excited to have you. A little bit nervous, as I said, the before we came on, um, but thank you for joining us. Um, just for our listener, Sergio, could you give us a brief overview of your coaching background and your coaching influences, just to start? Thanks, Owen, and, and thank you very much for the, for the invite and for, for actually putting the, uh, the podcast together for iCoach Kids. I think it's a really valuable tool that is going to add another string to our bow. And, and hopefully support a lot of coaches out there. So thanks again for, for all the time and the effort that you've put into, into making this a reality. Uh, I am a bit nervous as well, so that makes two of us, and, uh, and we will calm each other or, or make each other even more nervous. Uh, in terms of my, my coaching background, um, uh, my main sport is basketball, or I shouldn't even say my main sport. My, my sport is basketball. Uh, however, uh, over the years, I've coached other sports as well. Um, and I've also done a lot of um, what we could class as multi-skills coaching um, or fundamentals coaching, but I'll come on to that in a second. Uh, in terms of um, how I became a coach or really what's been my pathway uh, into coaching, um, I think it's a fairly, fairly typical pathway in the beginning where uh, I was a basketball player and and at some point, I found myself coaching one of the junior teams in my club. Um, I, I do think that there was a little bit of a vocation there um, because I, I remember very distinctly, uh, <laughs> distinctively, there was a, I must have been in the fifth grade or something like this. Um, and we just lost the school's football final in my hometown 40 years ago or 35 years ago. Um, and I remember spending all night, um, I couldn't go to sleep because I was just thinking, okay, this is what we're going to do next year to win it. And I was kind of already thinking as, as a coach. And I, and I remember 
seeing my uh, in, in my in my mind's eye, seeing my my teammates in the football team in school running around the uh, the yard and doing. I guess I was very influenced by by Rocky, uh, the boxing movies at the time, doing all kinds of uh, strength and conditioning uh, circuits in in my school. So I think there was always a, a a vocation there to to coach, but really didn't really become a reality until I was 21. In, in 96, I I took my first team, and um, as I said, uh, from that moment on, it was always a constant. Whichever team I played for as a senior player, I always coached one of the uh, one of the junior teams, um, and and I fairly typical in the sense that the first team that I took was a an under 10s, and and slowly but surely I ended up taking under 12s, 14s, uh, 16s. Then I, I moved to the UK uh, in in '99. So after three or four years of coaching in Spain, and I was still playing, moved to the UK uh, to play. But again, I still coached. So in my first year in Liverpool, I I, I was an assistant coach with the under 18s, uh, and I supported kind of player development throughout the club. Um, and then I moved to Manchester, where I've been ever since, um, and I've always been a a coach at the club. But in, in the meantime, really, as all that was happening, really, um, as part of my work for the club in Manchester, one of my main jobs was to go around the schools and coach in the schools, right? Uh, and that's where you really face the harsh reality of what it is to coach in the community. Because um, coaching a, without, without trying to play down, but coaching a bunch of very interested 16 or 17-year-olds that want to be professional basketball players is very easy. Okay, of course it has complications to do it properly or do it well, um, but it's easy because you know it's a small group. They're motivated. It's indoors, uh, and I remember the shock of going into the literally the 135 primary schools in Manchester, uh, driving in my Ford Fiesta uh, with a bag of basketballs and and a portable net actually in the in the back seat, to to all of a sudden finding myself in front of 30 30 young kids uh, in a you know, with, with six or seven basketballs, if I was lucky, uh, freezing cold, uh, raining, and, and having to actually coach some basketball. Uh, but I, I, I very quickly realized that really my, my job there wasn't to coach basketball. If I was trying to run those sessions as, a, as I was doing in the club, uh, as I did at the beginning, to be honest, uh, it was an absolute disaster. Um, so I, that's, that's where my, my first interest in actually, what do you do with kids at this age in this context? That's where it came from, really. And then I was very fortunate because um, my, my background, my academic background at the time was uh, my, my degree was in physiotherapy. Okay, so I, I wasn't a sports science um, graduate or anything like that, really. I was a, I was a glorified masseuse. <laughs> okay, and, um, and, and I didn't really know much about, you know, coaching children or, or, or coaching really for that, for that, for that matter. Um, but I was very fortunate because at that point uh, there was an organization in the UK, UK coaching, uh, formerly Sports Coach UK, uh, that was doing a lot of coach education. Um, and, and, and I tried to do all the different courses they were offering uh, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, and they were doing courses around long-term athlete development, the fundamentals of movement, and that really hooked me into into that way of thinking, um, and and I started reading all I could in that in that area. Um, in the meantime, I was also doing my masters in sports psychology because I wanted to 
to really try and be the best I could be in terms of getting the best out of people and, and, and out of myself. Um, but really, it was the uh, the contact with the uh, the Sports Coach UK UK coaching materials that really set me on this track. Um, so much so that I ended up working for them. Um, I was so passionate about it, really, that um, I, I applied for a job there um, in, in 2008. I was lucky enough to get it. Uh, and that really set me on the path that I am uh, that I am in today. Um, and then along, so it was a, it was like there was a, a couple of parallel tracks within my development as a coach. On the one hand, I had the, uh, the the basketball track, which is where I was really trying to. My goal there was always really to to try and be a professional basketball coach, and to and and that became a a semi-reality because you couldn't say that basketball is professional but I ended up coaching the uh, well managing the women's program at my club and coaching the um, the, the first team the first division team uh, as well as uh, supporting the rest of the uh, the junior teams uh, and ended up coaching in the national team structure uh, I did the under 18s for a year with uh, with England and then the under 20 and, and as a head coach for two years with with GB, and I was also an assistant coach for the women's program uh, for two years as well. So I had that that kind of development around basketball, which was very much basketball focused and really about X's and O's and performance psychology and things like that. Um, and then at the same time, I was doing I was on the other track, which is was the children's track uh, through my work on, on on a daily basis, really in the schools and and then through through my work at Sports Coach UK. So. I think at that point, that's where it becomes a little bit different, the, the journey to other coaches, because at some point people specialize in one or the other. And I was, a, I was very lucky to be able to maintain both tracks. And I was very passionate about both tracks, really. It wasn't like, oh, I'm doing this kids thing because the other thing doesn't pay the bills, really. Uh, I enjoy doing both things. Um, and that kind of takes us uh, to, to, to the point where in 2009, because I was coaching so much, I was coaching club, national team, I decided to take a little bit of a break. Um, I also I, I kind of only just started. Uh, I was one year into the job with uh, with UK coaching, uh, and I started to travel in a lot more through the job, uh, and it was just becoming a little bit uh, untenable. So I decided to stop coaching for a year. Um, in the end, it became three years where I didn't coach basketball as a head coach. Uh, I all three years I was classed as a as an assistant coach in in either my club or athletes back at university um, because I knew the head coach there and I was going in maybe one day one night a week to to support or to offer in to offer some mentoring to the to the coach or but that was it really then and then as my children started to grow up and, and get involved themselves in, in sport um, I came back on the on, on the cold face really uh, and that's where it becomes a little bit, uh, I don't think it's strange because I think it happens to a lot of people, but I ended up coaching rugby for a couple of years with seven and eight-year-olds, uh, being an assistant coach in football for another three years with nine, 10 and 11-year-olds, uh, and then back to, my, back to my basketball club to, to sort of develop the, uh, the under-12 program, really, uh, which one of my children was in, in the program. Um, so it's been a very, I feel it's been a very, a very mixed set of opportunities and and experiences really that have taken me to to where I am really in that sense. Um, not to mention really that in 2012 I decided to start a PhD in in, in youth sport, 
because I, I kind of felt that um, to me one of the things you know after in 2012 I was already been coaching for what, what's that 15 years or so um, I felt that really the major impact that we have as coaches is is on the individual on the human being really um, and I wanted to understand better how that happened uh, and, and and that's what I did my PhD on on, on the impact at a personal level, at a psychosocial level of, of what we do as coaches, really, of, of sport. And I spent seven years of my life trying to trying to get that done, which I finally did. <laughs> um, and and that, that's been kind of the... Uh, I've just given you a lot of information there, but it's pretty much... The, it's been, it's been a, a, a very rounded journey from, from at times being very deep on the ground, really, in, on the trenches, to at times being a bit more removed, to at times being very academic. Um, been a quite a well-rounded uh, journey, I think. Definitely, like I'm, I'm writing notes away here, and um, even I'm learning obviously about your journey. We know each other quite well, but the more getting, <laughs> he's getting learn new things about you. Just in terms of Kenny, you, uh, you talked about obviously your your own coaching, and we'll go into a little bit later on about your um, professional kind of coaching, high end, um, high performance, if you want, and then obviously the children's end and how that parallel with each other and how that then impacted yep. obviously your research and stuff as well i just want to go back to kind of you know you're extremely inspirational and motivational and passionate and anybody who follows you on twitter will know about all your videos <laughs> that you put up with your team in manchester but where did you get that passion from was it always there or was there any coaches or teachers or family members um who influenced in your always using those characteristics and they're always there in the back of your head um, yeah, I think there's a number of influences, really. Uh, I always say that, funny enough, um, I, I come from a family of teachers, right? Um, but that's not to say that my father, my father was a teacher, actually. My father really completed just the basic education because uh, he was born in, in, the, in Spain's uh, post-war uh, Spain, really, so he, he, he couldn't afford to go to school, really. So he was working from, from the age of 10. But he was one of those people that... Um, was very self-educated, really loved to read, um, and he was one of those people that was constantly helping others. Uh, and and he became like a like one of the elder statesmen in the in the block of flats that we lived in. Um, so he was always kind of that teacher-like presence, really, in in, in our neighbourhood. Uh, and as it happens, really, then my my brother is also a teacher. I'm a teacher. Uh, my wife is a qualified teacher. Uh, my brother-in-law is a is a teacher. Um, my my sister-in-law is a social worker, so there's always been something there, either by by genes or by social influence that that we we like to be in that space, really teaching or coaching. So I knew that, and I was saying to you that, that I was in grade five when I have my first memory of wanting to coach someone. Okay, uh, but then I had really some really important influences in terms of uh, my coaches. Really, my first. I think the first coach that I remember that made me feel like I, like I wanted to do something like that was when I was 13. And I had this coach, um, when I think about it now, um, and he knows who it is, but I'm not going to say the name. <laughs> uh, he was crazy, right? He, he just wanted to win and he, he would win at all costs. And, uh, and he wasn't very educational in terms of, um, in terms of um, the opposition, really, and in terms of the values of, we, he just wanted to win as by as many as possible uh, against as many as possible right uh, but the way we he went about coaching we had so much fun 
you know, we were training, we were working because he was a it was a fitness nutcase. Really, this guy was preparing to become a, a fireman. He was only a young bloke. He was 23 or 24 at the time, and he was preparing to be a fireman, right? Um, and and he had to pass these physical tests that were terrible, right? Really hard to pass. We were doing the same training he was doing. Okay, he was he was taking us through all these fireman test games and and fitness and strength and conditioning at at 13 years of age. That he could have broken, uh, he could have broken us, right? But um, to us, it just it was just a lot of fun because we were doing things that no one else was doing. Um, and and at that time, I felt well, this is a lot of fun. Uh, I wouldn't mind you know being in that position at some point. Uh, and then I had a mix of coaches really up to that point. I had coaches that were very technical. Uh, I had coaches because then I, I progressed through the performance pathway um, towards the, uh, if you want, the lower echelons of professional basketball in Spain, Division Division 3. Um, and I had a mix of coaches really. But the, then the one that really impacted me was um, when I was 18 and then I had him again as a 21, 22-year-old. Uh, I had this guy called Gustavo. Um, who He was just so much fun to be around. Uh, it was so much fun that whatever he asked us to do, we would do it. Uh, and we we worked extremely hard. We trained every day of the week. We trained at stupid hours, really. Sometimes we trained between 10 p.m. and 12 p.m. Uh, because that was the time where we could get the court. And we didn't mind. We just went and, and worked really hard. And it was super fun. And so I think I took that away that, you know, you, you can have a lot of fun while working hard. And again, another another coach that then impacted on me in the same way um, was, um, and to be fair, and we remain friends, this coach and I remain friends 20 years later, right? Uh, and then when I moved to Manchester, um, on my second year of being in Manchester, uh, we had this coach come from the States, uh, Nate Allhouse. Um, and again, he was just he was he was just an amazing motivator. This guy, uh, he was like a like a dynamo. He, he's like never he never ran out of energy. Because um, I, I thinking about it now, I don't I don't agree with everything he did in terms of basketball, right? But in terms of creating a vibe and, and emotions and people wanting to be there, he was just incredible. Um, and I think all those influences really. Uh, it's not that I wanted to be a copycat of those, right? But it, it just the message was really strong for me. Let's work hard, but let's have fun if we can. And, and and I'm saying if we can because I don't think I always managed to get that mix right. Okay, particularly at the um, at the time where I was on the verge of making the national team as a coach, uh, I think I really went over to the to the work hard more than the fun sometimes because I was I was on a on a personal quest and I don't think I I, I took the needs of my players in into consideration as much as I should have done. Um, but yeah, that, that those were the biggest influences really in my coaching. So we're gonna, this year's leading us nicely into obviously the subject of the whole podcast. And, you know, we have discussed obviously your coaching behaviors and your coaching journey and now your influences. And it's clear that a lot of those influences and a lot of your background experience, whether it be research or on practice at the cold face, as you said, has influenced obviously your child-centered coaching approach, especially in relation to the iCoach kids' journey. So, can I just talk now, Sergio, about you know what is what is child-centered coaching? If a parent is on now and they've only started coaching, what does that mean to them? And then, if you want to go on, obviously, in terms of the journey of iCoach kids, where it started to mm. where it is now in the present. Yeah, I mean, child-centered coaching is one of those terms that gets bandied about a lot. 
okay, um, for the right reasons most of the time. But he's, 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 I don't think everybody understands really, but he probably means different things for different people, right? And I don't think we can agree on a single definition. Uh, but, but to me, it's quite simple, really. Um, to me, it's just about really, as a coach, always being focused around the needs and the wants of the people that you're working with. Okay, and that's a, a broad definition, but uh, in a way, it's just about constantly uh, reflecting on what it is that you do or, or, or guiding your planning towards the needs of the people in front of you. And I say, I say needs and wants, okay, because what they need and what they want is not always the same. Uh, but you have to find a way to give them both. Uh, and, and I always say that the, sometimes you're gonna have to find, you're gonna have to find that balance. So at times you're gonna be giving them what they need. At times you're gonna be giving them what they want. And a lot of the times the, the, the sweet spot is when you're giving them what they need, but it's disguised as what they want. Okay, and that's a difficult balance and, and you have to be really creative. And by no means I'm gonna say that I'm always there because I'm not, uh, but that's what we strive for. Um, fulfilling their needs while also fulfilling the the desires and their wants um and, and that to me that's the, the most basic way to describe it really and and i lately i've been when people have asked me this question or when i've been presenting this i've been using the example of a uh, netflix because uh, i think netflix is a very a very customer centered um uh, streaming service okay uh, where the way they go about developing content and also the way they go about feeding you content is based on on what you need and what you want uh, and and i think that they do a good job a really good job in with, with all the algorithms and artificial intelligence they they really when you open netflix normally what what's in front of you for you to what, what's recommended to you is actually quite close to what you like okay and what you might even feel on that particular day based on what you saw the last two days uh, and i think that that's what we're trying to get uh, to when we are coaching in a child-centered uh, approach where can we actually take into consideration can we have an algorithm that allows us to be as child-centered or, or, or participant-centered or player-centered as netflix is in recommending content to you and that, that sounds a bit silly but i think that that's a, a, an interesting way to look at it yeah, the analogy is interesting. I've, I've just forgot that you have used that before, and it just kind of resonated with me again. I said, "Yeah, uh -huh. that's a great, that's a great way of putting it." Um, so again, in relation to that now, so obviously this is a Coach Kids podcast, and it's episode one. So, um, <laughs> can I just discuss briefly about the journey of Coach Kids and where it started, the kind of where it is now, but where you see it going in the future? Yeah, um, it's been a. a, a a lovely journey really and it's been a labor of love uh, not only mine but of a, of a lot of people really uh, i took the job with uh, sports coach uk in 2008 i think it was uh, but about 18 months into the job or two years into the job uh, they they created a, a job uh, that was the the national uh, the children national lead and that job was about to uh, it was about developing a curriculum that governing bodies of sport could use to to deliver or to develop coaching qualifications that were suitable for coaches working with children. So trying to really create some coach education that was a bit more tailored to the people that are working with kids. Because um, up to that point, and even now, 
a lot of the coach education is quite generic uh, and, and it's about X's and O's, but not so much about working with kids. Um, so I applied for that job um, and, I, and I got it. And, and, and during the time that I was there doing that job, uh, that's what I was, that, that was, I was kind of, a, that was the inception really of, um, of iCoach Kids where that's what I was trying to get to. Uh, or in my mind, what I was trying to create from, from UK coaching at that point, um, was that kind of a repository of information and, and, and best practices that other coaches could look at. Um, and I was kind of really always thinking, my, my way to look at it was what kind of information or what kind of coach education I would have liked 10 years ago when I was getting started, really. Um, and, and then I... Um, <sighs> As part of that process, really, I started working with uh, with the guys in Sport Northern Ireland, with, with Simon and David and, and Alan, um, and we started developing a, a, a multi skills manual for the Wildcats uh, Activate program, and that was the first time that we actually managed to start doing something that was really targeted to a specific population of coaches with a multi skills uh, theme. Um, for for people that might not be aware of the multi skills terminology, really, multi skills is about developing fundamental movement skills so uh, from the fundamentals of movement of ability agility balance coordination and speed and strength to um, object control locomotion stability uh, to then also some of the elements of, of of games play so the use of space the the tracking of uh, players or the tracking of the ball just creating a, a really solid foundation for children really uh, and, and and we were really happy with the way that program came about uh, then I left Sports Coach UK to move to, to Leeds Beckett to do my PhD. Uh, and Sports Coach then got in touch because they saw what we did in Northern Ireland and they really liked it. So they wanted to do a, a two-day multi-skills course, really, for, for the Scottish coaches. So that was the next step, really. And, and then on, on the Scottish work, we, we grew the program a little bit and we built it a little bit. And then after doing the work in Scotland, then um, Sheila and Declan from, from Coaching Ireland got in touch to again try to expand that. And we ended up with the four workshops that are currently um, being delivered in, in Ireland for coaches of children. And then at that point is when I thought, well, okay, this is, this is growing, um, but it's kind of growing in a disjointed way and everybody's trying to do different things. So we brought together a number of organizations, including Coaching Ireland, um, that that we're all trying to do similar things really uh, around coaching children. So we brought them together to put a bid uh, to the Erasmus program of the European Commission for, for a three-year project to develop iCoach kits. Uh, and all we wanted to do was, okay, evidence-based, so let's look at the research, what it says, let's develop a curriculum uh, for, for coaching courses that are for, chil uh, for children's coaches. Uh, let's develop um, um, uh, if you want a, a, a manual, which then, then became the, the, the iCoach Kids Pledge, to really have it clear as to what it means to be a children's coach or, or what, what are the key things that you need to look after. And, and the, the centerpiece of all that was the creation of three free e-learning courses, really. Uh, but again, the, 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 the seeds were planted nearly seven or eight years before when I started doing the work in, in, in Sports Coach UK and, and, and with Sport Northern Ireland. Uh, and then the, the beauty of iCoach Kids really is that it, because it's been a labor of love for so many people, 
or including yourself, uh, it, it, it's been organically grown um, in a way that we we wished it grew that way, but we never expected it to grow that way so fast. Uh, to the point where we now have partnerships with the likes of UEFA, uh, FIBA, the International Basketball Federation, Special Olympics, uh, World Rugby. Uh, a lot of people really that that feel that what we are offering through iCoach Kids is of value to their coaches around the world, and that's where we are at the moment, where where we we are trying to, I guess, manage and make the most of. Of, of of our growth and, and and really I think we're in a in, in an important point now where we need to decide or work out exactly how how we move forward because it's, it's we've created a bit of a monster and we need to be able to manage it properly um, and alongside that really we applied to the European Commission for a, another three years of funding because uh, the original iCoach Kids was based uh, or was focused on on five to twelve year olds. And now we have a second project going for another three years uh, called iCoach Kids Plus, where we're focusing on 13 to 18 year olds, really. And, and the main focus there is uh, understanding dropout, uh, dropout in, in, in youth sport, but also the other side, understanding um, the best way to develop uh, what we call holistic talent development environments for, for those 13, 14, 15 year olds that all of a sudden find themselves training 20 hours a week. Um, and wanting to be an Olympian or a professional athlete. So that's where we are. Class. Just on that, you literally touched on the Coach Kids pledge, which is the next thing <laughs> that I have in my notes here beside me. So just in terms of obviously relating it back to the Child Centre coaching and the pledge, I know it has um, made a huge difference to a lot of parent coaches and new coaches because it gives them like a template or a framework to kind of think about their own coaching and how they're <laughs> impacting in all of these areas. So if you could just go into more detail and kind of um, about the I Coach Kids Pledge, Sergio. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you how we, how we developed it, right? And um, I was saying that the first stage of the I Coach Kids project was to, to have a really, really strong look at the literature to make sure that everything we proposed was evidence-based, okay? Um, so we actually spent over a year, uh, all of us really looking at as, as much literature as we could to develop, uh, and, and this is downloadable from the iCodeSkits website, a 120-page uh, document um, that is actually a, a, a literature review of academic literature, but actually has implications for coaching. So the way it's built is uh, for every, for every finding, if you want, there's an implication for coaching. So there's a lot of really practical tips there. Uh, and then we distill that document into a, into a 15-page document uh, because we appreciate that not everybody wants to read 120 pages. Uh, but then actually, as we did that, it kind of felt that there were a number of key principles that were you know, falling out of those 15 pages, really. Uh, and that's where we had a go at developing a, a, a pledge. Okay, and the pledge is doing nothing other than, okay, providing people some golden rules or, or, or areas of attention that you need to have if you want to create positive experiences for children through sport. And that's how we came up with the 10 points, really. And I'm, I'll, I'll go really quickly through them. But the first one we've talked about already is be, being child-centered. is the, uh, the beginning, really. If you, if you don't start there, um, you're very likely to get it wrong, really. Uh, the second one is to be holistic, to really worry about uh, or, or, or to make it your job to 
to develop the whole person, not just the uh, the athlete. Um, really look at the uh, look after the, the the psychosocial interest of the child as well as the physical. Um, the fourth is uh, being inclusive. Really, so sorry. The third is being inclusive, which is making sure that when you are out there coaching kids, um, you are giving all of them a bit of your time and and trying to provide uh, activities that are giving everyone something to be happy about really and to feel competent about the fourth is to make it fun and safe that's really back to the point i was talking about before that um, if, they, if they're not having fun they're not going to come back and if they don't come back you don't have a chance of doing anything else uh, uh, related to that the, the fifth point um, or, or rule number five is the idea of prioritizing the love of sport above learning sport a lot of the times we let learning get in the way and and again if, if they don't love it they're not going to learn it i think i was listening to a webinar the other day where someone said you only learn that that you love um, and i think that that's really powerful that and because if you don't love something you're not going to pay, pay attention to any to that and you're not going to learn it okay um so i think that's important uh, rule number six is the idea of focusing on foundational skills really that too many times as a, as a children's coach we get obsessed with the sport and we're teaching them to be better basketball players in my case and at that point really what they need is to become better movers um, the basketball will come really if they stick with it the basketball will come uh, seven uh, and it's always a controversial one is the idea of engaging parents positively uh, you know for too many decades really we've had this divide between parents and coaches and, and seeing coaches as uh, parents as the enemy and likewise you know sometimes parents seeing the coach as the enemy uh, and that doesn't really work. We need to see them as partners, really. There's no, this idea of the parent as the, the Darth Vader type really uh, doesn't work. We, we have to work together. Uh, parents are an incredible resource. They know their children really well. Um, they, they, they want to help. Sometimes they just don't know the best way to do it, okay? Uh, or actually sometimes they do and, and we don't think it's the best way to do it. And we have to listen to them because, because they, I mean, a parent is someone with a lot of experience, really, so we need to listen to them. Um, the number eight, really, is the idea of uh, planning progressive plans, um, and that's just basically around being age and stage appropriate. You know, we have to deliver activities and sessions that, that are at the right level for the children. If, if they're not, again, they're either not going to learn, they're going to get bored, they're, they're going to hate it, and they're not going to progress. So that that's being patient and, and having a long-term view of, of the child's development. And number nine is the idea of uh, using different tools to enhance learning and different pedagogical tools, okay? Uh, we have some coaches that only, only do unopposed drills because that's what they've done all their life. Some coaches now that all they do is games. Uh, and, and what we advocate really because what we see in the research is that there's a, there's a place for everything. And uh, what we're trying to get people is to understand what the benefits of each of those pedagogical approaches are and, and when to use them. And, and I think that's where the art of the coach is, where observing the people in front of you and, and thinking, okay, do they need a drill now? Do they need a game? Do they need something in between? Uh, how much of what do they need? Um, to just keep, keep them moving along that progression, really. Uh, and finally, again, another another controversial one is the idea of using competition in a developmental way. Again, some some people have done away with competition completely. Some people are very adamant that competition is is the 
is where players are made. Uh, and again, we're just thinking, well, there's nothing wrong with competition per se. It's just a case of providing competition in a way that is right for, for, that, for the age and stage of development of those children. Children like to compete, but they like to compete in their own terms, uh, not in the adults' terms, okay? So we are, we're up for competition, but it has to be delivered in the, in the right way, really. Yeah, I think that's kind of just finishing off on that. Whenever you know, obviously it's something that you mention a lot in any of your presentations, and that's treat not to treat children like many adults, and you touched on that yeah. day with the developmental way because we're all we're all competitive animals, and children are competitive. But as you say, it's it's what is their needs and wants in relation to competition, and going back to the child centered approach. So uh, that there, in terms of um, in terms of I coach kids pledge. It's something that, and you touched on kind of engaging parents positively, and that's something that's, um, especially in relation to coaching and community clubs, like as you said, parents are a huge resource, massive resource, and engaging those um, parents and creating those relationships, you can kind of, as I said, kind of tag team the children. So work as a team in order to improve the children, both um, when they come to practice, but also at home as well. So that was excellent. Um, Sergio, just moving on now, so the, again, finishing off there with the parents, it's leading us in the nicely, and <laughs> you would think that I have a flow to this podcast, wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> uh, so the next one is in terms of kind of coaching tips, and you touched there earlier on about your own coaching experiences, but for a new parent coach, and obviously you came back to being a parent coach and coaching, you know, your sons and stuff, so how have you, um, you know, manage that dynamic in terms of coaching your child in the community in your community club and kind of any tips that you have for parents in relation to that <laughs> well that's an interesting one really because uh, i think we should get my uh, my my sons who are next door to answer that question um i think i've managed it as best as i could really uh, and there are good days and bad days and and for me um I think the uh, let's, we're going to touch on a number of things here, but for me, uh, what you have to make clear that people understand really is that your intentions are honourable, okay? And and once people understand that, whether that's your 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 eight year old or, or your eighteen year old or or someone that is not related to you or a parent, uh, if you are honest with them and you you're really trying to do the right thing, even when you get it wrong, people will have a tendency to forgive you, okay? And to go along with you because they they understand that it's not easy what you're trying to do um, and that you're trying to to help them progress. And and for example, with my children, really in that sense, it's always been a case of, a, I, I've tried not to push them, but I, I've also pushed them, okay? Because back to the idea of needs and wants, um, sometimes you have to, Push them to be smart how you do that in the sense of a, in a way that is not too coercive, but really, of course, if a child has a choice between a PlayStation and, and going out to do some hard work, they're going to choose the PlayStation, okay? So you have to dress it up a little bit. Or, or if you think that um, a child needs to, to do some, you know, to, to, to go and, and do some extra work, it might be your child or someone else's, you have to find a way to to get that across to them so so they buy into it. I think in the main really is, is being really self-aware of a not being not overpowering children 
and and just constantly getting them to do things because you think it's what you what they need, and giving them a bit of choice or a lot of, a lot of, a lot of choice really, um, and just being really aware, constantly reflecting on okay what this thing that I'm doing now or or this thing that I just said, or this thing that I'm asking this kid to do. Is it for me or is it for them? Am I doing this to benefit myself or am I doing this to benefit themselves, uh, to benefit them? Uh, and if they, depending on the answer to that question, then you either carry on doing it or you stop. And I think with my, with my own children, that's what I've learned the most really. Whenever I was trying to get Luca, my eldest, um, who is a pretty good basketball player, uh, whenever I was, whenever he, when he because now he's the opposite. Now he wants to train all the time. Okay, now he's the one that, that he won't stop asking me to go out and play basketball with him uh, or to take him to training. Um, but three years ago, it was the other way around. It was me encouraging him to go out a bit more. Um, and I think that's the balance really where, because I know him so well, I was able to say, well, I think I need to push him a little bit more here because when he realizes how fun this is uh, and, and how, how good he can get, then... I'm going to step back and he's just going to drive it himself. But it's a really fine line, okay, between pushing and pulling, really, if you want. As much as you can, you need to pull. So bring them along with you as opposed to force them to... Um, and I, I think that applies to everybody. Um, and, and, uh, and I guess that that's a, a, a thicker line, really, if you want, when you're coaching performance. Like I'm, my, my basketball club is a again for want of a better word a performance club these kids you know end up playing for England a lot of them um, and, and end up with the scholarships to go to the US and, and things like that and, be, and becoming professional basketball players um, but it's the same with the uh, with the younger ones I think with the younger ones really when I'm in, in, at my club uh, I also coach the uh, the Saturday morning seven and eight year olds really um, and that's a different scenario because at that point there's no ambition of these kids playing for England or anything like that, or playing for, even playing for the uh, for the national league teams that we run. But the ambition there is that they come back, and and they, and for them to come back, sometimes you one way for them to come back is when they feel they are improving. It's not only me looking like Ronald McDonald's with a with a red nose and being a clown, which I do, okay, but it's also them getting a sense that they're improving. And that's what brings them back as well, the fact that they're improving. So between being a clown and, and teaching them something, it's always a, a, a balancing act. Uh, and again, that goes back to self-awareness of your, your own behaviours, uh, awareness of what they seem to need at that particular point. Do they, need, do they need me as a clown now or do they need me as a, as a teacher for, again, for, for looking, looking for the right word there? But I'm just constantly navigating or moving along that continuum of what do they need now and and always with the interest of them coming back and and with them getting better because get, getting better is a huge motivator to keep coming back as well yeah i don't know i, I can't even remember now the, the original question but, uh, <laughs> no it was, it was again all of that in terms of it was parents and kind of that parent coach dynamic but that was one of the ones that kind of just uh, had a light bulb moment for me was when you talked there about the the kind of working with the younger kids, working with the younger children, and if you have to be a clown, and then working with the older ones, or kind of even with the younger children, you know, what is their needs and wants, and your personality, and it has a huge effect. And I know 
um, having you know spoke to parents, especially in New York and when it was over here in Ireland, is some of the parents find that very difficult, you know, because it's their personality and it's not in their nature. And I think that's where someone maybe think that oh, the approach that they do, it's comfortable for them. You know, we've talked before about having that control element, but you know, given releasing that control is obviously a lot more difficult than they might expect, especially when they're working with the younger children and if they're trying to do a, a chess pass and basketball or a bounce pass and the children <laughs> can't even hold the ball properly or can you know. So it's that fundamentals element and what's needed for them and what they want. But one of the things that you kind of touched on there now was bring them along with you. I think that's a really good analogy also in terms of the push-pull balance. I like that. And bringing them on the journey, just like you would bring the parents on the journey because everybody, you want everybody to improve. You want everybody to uh, be involved in the club and not only when they finish playing, but you want them to be like yourself and come back and coach and give back to the club. And I found it very interesting when you talked earlier on about um, the teams that you coached, you always coach the younger age groups. And I know that that's something in, in terms of GA are doing and in terms of other sporting NGVs, trying to get the adult players involving the younger age in terms of role models and you know, developing them as coaches for later on. Mm-hmm. So having like a succession plan. I thought that was excellent. Just a couple more things, Sergio. So uh, you talked about resources and you talked that obviously parents are resources and coaches are resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we have the I Coach Kids resources and anybody who um, is watching this or is listening, there'll be a lot of um, kind of pushing you towards following and uh, and subscribing until on our YouTube channels and obviously on terms of the podcast, but in terms of other resources, Sergio, so um, a few resources that you would find useful and that you have found useful for new parents in relation to child-centered coaching. For, for parents, really? Um, okay. Um, I mean, there's, we, are, we live in an era where we are spoiled for information, okay? So perhaps the biggest challenge that we have is not to access information, but to be able to discriminate between information that is good and information that is not so good. Um, uh, for me, really, and, and again, this changes for everybody, but I am a, a compulsive reader. I love reading. Right? Uh, I'm, I'm much more into reading than, and this is going to sound really bad, that into into webinars or podcasts, uh, okay. Even though I, I do both, um, but I, I like my quiet time with a with a book in my hands, really. Um, although to be honest, really, I, I've become since I live in Manchester and I have to drive to Leeds uh, for work, uh, I, I I devour podcasts and uh, across the Pennines, really, all, all the time. But just. Accessing knowledge is the uh, is the key, really. Just read as much as you can, and not only coaching stuff. I, I, I love reading about everything. Um, I think actually I get more sometimes from reading things from outside sport than I do from reading sport because it, it allows me to look at things in a different way. Um, whereas sometimes in sport we're all saying the same things and, and doing the same things, and, and it's a bit insulate. Um, so that's one thing, really. Now, in terms of what resources are out there that are useful. Um, I mean, uh, we have a relationship with human kinetics uh, at the International Council for Coaching Excellence, and I always say to 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 Ted uh, to Ted from Human Kinetics, the uh, one of the uh, the editors there, that uh, 
I own half of his house because of all the human <laughs> kinetics books that I've bought over the years. So things like human kinetics or, or Routledge, they're, they're really developing lots of books that are really useful. Uh, but likewise, there are free resources out there. Um, so all the resources really coming out of Canada, from Canada Sports for Life, for example, uh, from New Zealand. New Zealand has a really, really good website now. Uh, what's the actual name of it? Um, but anyway, if you go to New Zealand Sport and, and Youth Sport, it, it will. if you Google that, it will come up straight away. Um, it's, I think something like balance is better or something like that, because they're really into sampling and things like that. Um, obviously, I think the iCoach Kids resource have, have now filled the gap that I wish I, I, I had that um, available 10, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, but for me, the biggest uh, the, the biggest resource is to self-reflect. Um, whether you want to do it in a in a very organized way, writing things down or, or, or whatever, uh, in a diary, or whether you just want to really take some time every day to think about what it is that you did yesterday uh, or, and what it is that you're going to do today and, and just question yourself all the time, why did I do that? Or what was the purpose of doing that? What could I do better? To me, that's really been the, um, the, the key, I think what I've learned the most really, uh, just being observant about what I do and the impact of what I do uh, and then make a commitment to do things differently. If, if identifying what kind of themes I mean, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm quite an emotional guy, right? Uh, I always put that down to, uh, to being Spanish, really. And we're very fiery, right? Um, but I'm quite emotional. I have a, a short fuse, really, if, if the situation gets tense. And that, for me, has always been a focus of my... It doesn't happen with the kids, with the younger ones, right? But with the older ones, uh, where the stakes are higher, so to say, uh, that's probably been my biggest focus, really. And, 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 and for me, for example, in reflecting in that is at the end of every game, or every training session, I will always reflect and say, was I emotionally in the sweet spot or did I overdo it? Or, or sometimes even underdo it because you're so concerned about it that you, you tame yourself too much. Um, but it's just finding those things that you want to get better at and, 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 and try to target them deliberately. And, and, and also in that sense, really, there's nothing like videoing yourself uh, and, and, and my goodness, whenever I've seen myself sometimes do or say things in video that I go, why, why, oh my, why did I say that? Um, or just talk to other people. Uh, for me, talking to other people, asking other people to, people to observe you, or just talking to other people about the things that worry you or the things that you want to know more about, asking others how they do them. I think to me that that's, that's cheap and easy and and. and in 24 years of coaching, no one's ever said no to me to a coaching conversation. No one's ever not wanted to answer a question. Um, and then whatever they answer, you can decide if it's, if it's good information or not. But I, I find those conversations really, really enriching. Um, and it's probably a case of as well as those conversations that you're talking about. And it's not just yes people you're talking to, I'm sure. They're critical no. friends, you know, the people who tell you the truth, but you trust them and you know that they're doing it for, for your development and learning. I think interestingly there, and, and, and there's some research that we've done that backs that up really, is the, the older I've got and the more experience I have, the more open-minded I've become. Hmm. I think uh, 
earlier on in my in my coaching career, I thought I knew everything. Okay, and and I think that that that's an, an ego thing on one side, but also I think that gives you comfort because you, you don't have any doubts creeping in your head. Um, but actually, you know, after 24 years of coaching now, uh, this is now is when I have most of I'm full of doubt all the time. But I think that's a good thing. I think I'm constantly questioning if, if what I'm doing is the right thing. Uh, and I know that there is a lot more that I don't know that, that what I actually know. <laughs> um, and it's just, it, it is sometimes um, unnerving, but it, I think it's, it's, it's a good space to be in, really. Uh, you know, early on in my coaching career, either with the young ones or, or in the performance, I thought I knew everything. And the moment you think that you know everything, that's when you don't learn anything, really. And that's when you get hit, really. And that's when you, when things go wrong. So I would just really say, I would, one, if I had to give anybody any advice, and, and if, I got, if I had to give myself advice, it's just keep working on getting rid of your ego and, and just really be open-minded and, and listen. And listen and, and then take the information for what it is and decide what you do with it, but don't don't close yourself to to others or to information because it's, it's it's a waste of time, really. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Is that you can have a little bit of quality over quantity, as you talked about the amount of webinars and because of the situation that we're in, that it's a lot of information overflow, especially for you know parents who are only starting out or any kind of coach, no matter what experience. There's so much content, and it's about deciphering what's best for you in terms of your own learning but I love the way you said there about um obviously you're reading but read outside your sports read outside sport as well mm. but question yourself reflect on what you're doing because you know it's and it's the same as you know everybody wants to improve and learn but it's getting out of that comfort zone you know and challenging yourself because you're asking players questions and you're challenging your players whether it's with an activity or a game but you should be challenging yourself and having a go at something, you know, and, and then reflecting on it for learning. Or if I'm kind of glad that I'm not talking on this podcast all the time because my voice, if anybody's listening to the first episode, so this is my voice all the time. Um, <laughs> so listening to yourself and videoing yourself is extremely powerful, but asking advice from people and, you know, and people that you trust, you know, and they're going to be honest with you not a yes person i think that's that's mm. extremely valuable and building those relationships um, i think it's, it, i was just gonna say really being, being comfortable with the idea of not knowing everything and and just being open to that i mean and and obviously i, I my my daily life my 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 work life is now spent in an environment where i always feel like everybody else knows more than i do uh, and you know that because you you you, you know the environment really well of, of of Leeds Beckett University when when you're there talking to people like Julian North or Andy Abraham or, or John Lyle or and you just go sit in a corner and curl up and go oh my god I know nothing okay um, and that's a, an uncomfortable place to be in right um, but once you manage to control your emotions really and open your mind it's the best place to be um, just just being able to to be humble enough to just go well let's just uh, take as much as we can in really and, and and then try to apply it and and move on that's great especially that's a great way to kind of finish up and wrap up in terms of that and be aware of trying new things and you know trying to make sure that whatever is kind of all the information coming in 
you know, there's there's other stuff that you're going to use, you're not going to use, and it's about having to go and trying it out. But everybody's uh, and that's a big thing. Along, yeah. That's a big thing. Now, whenever I um, I'm asked to do uh, coaching clinics, quite a lot uh, in basketball, particularly, um, and I always say to people, listen, what I'm going to show you today is, is what works for me. I've got a couple of hours to show you what's worked for me. If I had to show you the things that haven't worked, we'd be here for two weeks, okay? Because you have to try things, um, you know, and, and, and really, and that's why, you know, the stuff that I put on Twitter sometimes, uh, people might look at that and go, oh, that's a bit weird, or it's not working, and that's fine, because that's precisely the point, that you have to be brave, brave enough to just put things out there, and then someone might see that clip and go, that doesn't quite work like that, but I'm going to try, I'm going to make this kind of little tweak here, and that might work for me in rugby, for example, or in a different sport. Uh, and actually, I know uh, as we speak, there's a there's a, a conversation going on between a former assistant of mine in basketball and a football coach that came together through Twitter. After both of them were in a in one of our webinars, they got talking to each other. And actually, as we speak, they are now having a similar conversation to this around what football coaches may be able to learn from basketball coaches uh, in terms of the use of space particularly right um, so that's just beautiful really that, that we can have that that open mind to have those conversations really class that's a great way of any sergio it has been absolutely fantastic having you on the podcast um i wish that we could keep talking and we could go on for another three or four hours <laughs> easily but uh, i don't think people people will get sick of my voice before they'll get sick of yours in fairness but uh, your passion is infectious and obviously we know each other very well and the support that you're giving me for this to um take the icoach kids podcast forward is fantastic look forward to having you back on the show because you will be back on this is only scratched the surface <laughs> Um, and thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. My pleasure, Owen. Thank you so much for all the work that you're putting into it. And, um, and hello to everybody that's uh, listening and, and joining the family. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Thank you. Remember, wherever you get your podcasts, please make sure to like and subscribe to our channels and follow us on social media at iCoachKidsPod. Also, Please follow the iCoach Kids pages on social media and subscribe to the iCoach Kids YouTube channel where you'll have access to the massive open online courses as well as a huge number of videos and webinars. Thank you for joining us today. Stay safe and take care.